On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we talk about the Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art with alumni, illustrators, and faculty members Darren Ock, Michael Krager, and Lloyd Briggery. Plus, we go into the future to look back at the past, to reflect on everything that happened in pop culture in 2020. Just go with me on this one. Now, straight from the Clinton House Residence Hall in Dover, New Jersey, this is 1.21 Gigawatts. there, and welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 48 for January 2020. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that are cool and noteworthy and deserve to be celebrated. Do both yourself and myself a favor and subscribe right now at Apple Podcasts, Player FM, or SoundCloud.com to guarantee that you never miss an episode. Happy New Year, everyone! This is the time of year when many podcasts, websites, entertainment news shows, and the rest of the world who will comment about that article you posted on Facebook but didn't actually read it first, all share their predictions for 2020. What TV shows will become classics? What movies will be grade A duds? And what games will prove so engrossing that the next time you come up for air and listen to this podcast, we'll be talking about 2021 predictions? Yes, that's what most shows do, but not this show. This show has been to the future. This show has seen Jaws 19 in all of its holographic splendor. This show has ridden on hoverboards. Not the new ones that everyone loses their balance on, but also the pink floating ones from Mattel. This show knows what's going to happen in the world of genre pop culture. And so it's time, a relative term, to again travel into the future to take a look back at 2020, the year that was and is yet to be. Ah, 2020. No one could have ever anticipated the return of Dune to the pop culture conversation in such a big way. Everyone is still talking about the new big screen Dune adaptation starring Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, and the rest of that incredible cast. But as exciting as the cast is, even more exciting is the fact that casual film conversations around the water cooler once again include the words Gom Jabbar, Bene Gesseret, and Kwisatz Haderach. It just rolls off the tongue. The spice is life, y'all. I saw so on the cover of Men's Health. 2020 also marked the first year that all of the comic book movie releases from Marvel Studios and the DC Extended Universe were directed by women. The trend kicked off in February with Margot Robbie starring in Birds of Prey and the fantabulous emancipation of female heroes from bossy white dudes and also Harley Quinn. It's a mouthful of a title, but it looks great on a poster. The list also included Black Widow, The Eternals, and of course, Wonder Woman 1984, featuring the directorial return of Patty Jenkins. No man is going to tell Wonder Woman where to stand to hit her light. In 2020, we saw season two of The Mandalorian. It was great, wasn't it? You remember how after season one, you were so in love with the child? We will also accept the term Baby Yoda. And you couldn't believe how there was no merchandise featuring the character? Well, what a difference a year makes, am I right? 
It was bad enough that we were all inundated with Baby Yoda strollers, Baby Yoda car seats, and Baby Yoda gear shifts. But what Lucasfilm and Disney took away was that baby characters sell, baby! So get ready for a young, rascally Luke Skywalker on the upcoming Disney Plus Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Also, the Disney Channel's Young Droids, in which teenage versions of 3PO and R2 navigate summer jobs at the oil bath and the complicated world of emotions and relationships while hot-rodding and enjoying beach parties across the galaxy. That sand gets everywhere. And finally, in a desperate attempt to bring back the Mandalorian's crowd favorite IG-11, look forward to Bounty Babies, in which IG-11, Mando, Boba Fett, and all of your favorite bounty hunters grow up together in a nursery and have imaginative adventures where they hunt down snacks and take naps, all the while dreaming of bringing in their quarry dead or alive. Who gets a tracking fob on Bounty Babies? Every last one of these adorable pint-sized mercenaries, that's who. Baby Dengar, take that diaper off your head. This year, we saw Jared Leto star as Morbius, the living vampire, but the real drama took place behind the scenes. Quick backstory, everyone knows about how Leto's famous proclivity for method acting techniques led to an often strained mood during the production of Suicide Squad. In the role of the Joker, even after the cameras started rolling, he apparently gave Margot Robbie a live rat and sent the rest of the group a dead pig. He takes this stuff seriously. So was it really a surprise that in the role of the science vampire, Leto bit the neck of a script supervisor, tried to hypnotize someone from craft services, and jumped off the roof of his trailer in an attempt to fly but instead crashed down on one of the grips? I mean... Anyway, the Oscar push is already underway for Leto. Look for the trade ads that say, for your consistently good health. Remember back in February when Joker swept the Oscars, winning all 11 awards it was up for? Best actor, best picture, best director, best enormous clown shoes. You remember, you were there. Well, nearly a year later, here we are with Warner Brothers and DC embracing the people want to see serious dark treatments of comic book characters ideology. And that's why we'll soon be seeing the inner turmoil of a half-human, half-aquatic killer in the dark treatise, Killer Croc. The existential dread of an obscure Batman villain in the movie critics call Silence of the Lambs meets Groundhog Day in Calendar Man. And the singular, ever-building dread that can only be characterized by a small elderly imp in a purple bowler cap. Yes, it's an R-rated version of Superman's villain in Mixius Pitalik. Pass the popcorn. Finally, you know, I know that one of the temptations of time travel is to see what future events hold for our larger lives, not just a glimpse at the entertainment landscape. 2020 was a presidential election year, and telling you what happened would be a massive violation of the time travel code. I can't do that. But I can share with you this excerpt from the victorious candidate's first speech following their victory. Draw your own conclusions. In order to ensure the security and continuing stability, the Republic will be reorganized into the first galactic empire for a safe and secure society.
It's hard for comic book enthusiasts, young and older, to not fantasize about being a comic book artist, to be the hand behind the pencil and provide the visual representation for superhero, sci-fi, horror, comedy, romance, and a gajillion other genres and stories to be consumed around the world. And so, would-be artists start sketching, maybe experiment with sequential art, maybe create some zines, but when it's time to make the leap from amateur to professional, how is it done? Who teaches you how to make comics? Where is this magical curriculum for budding comic book creators? Would you guess Dover, New Jersey? That's the home base for the Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art, a program focused on preparing students in the area of cartooning and graphic art, but also giving them the tools necessary to succeed with the business aspect of the industry. Founded in the late 1970s by the iconic illustrator Joe Kubert, the school is still going as strong as ever today with a list of alumni that's like a comic book industry who's who. The Kubert School also boasts a teaching staff that includes active industry professionals such as Lee Weeks, Fernando Ruiz, Kim DeMulder, Jan Dersima, Tom Mandrake, and more. Artists that have and continue to make their mark in comics and therefore can convey just what it takes to not only produce great work, but how to survive in the business. At the Garden State Comic Fest back in June, I hosted a panel discussion with illustrators and Kubert School instructors Darren Ock and Michael Krieger, as well as illustrator and Kubert School events coordinator Lloyd Briggery, who shared their experiences as Kubert students, faculty members, and working professionals. We even get the brief perspective from a Kubert student in the audience who could shed some light on her experience and reveal the identity of the toughest instructor and who the teddy bear on staff is. Is it possible that it's the same person? And welcome to Breaking Into Comics, the Hubert School way. So in, uh, and you can correct me on all these dates if I'm wrong, in September 1976, right, the Joe Hubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art opened with a class of 22 and over 40 years later, it has become a Dover, New Jersey institution has cemented its legacy as one of the premier schools in the world for budding comic book artists and animators. It is extremely well represented by many of the talents on the show floor here at the Garden State Comic Fest. Uh, if you're interested in breaking into the business and attending the school, uh, are yourself a QB alum or current student, you're in the right place. Uh, so here to tell us about the Kubert School are, are these three awesome fellas. Uh, first is a Kubert alum who worked for Pacific Comics, DC Comics, served as a bullpenner and a freelance art writer, artist, and art director for Marvel Comics. Now he's a cartoonist, illustrator, and art director at the Kubert School. Please welcome Darren Hoff. Yeah. Like my new friend said, uh, I've had quite a few opportunities. Um, my story is, ever like I started drawing in the delivery room. <laughs> I just, I always, I always had this um, insanity about artwork. Um, I'm like 58 years old. I'm a child of the '70s, so I grew up with Bigfoot movies, Johnny Quest all kinds of horror movies, uh, comic books. Uh, before I went to the Kubert School in uh, 1980 was my first year. I was all about mainstream comics. Like, you know, I was a superhero guy, D 
DC, Marvel, uh, but then like, you know, uh, my first year in 1980 at the Cubert School, that's where I met Gregor, uh, my twin son from a separate mother, and he introduced me to a lot of more alternative type comic books. Uh, but I was pretty lucky when I was younger because uh, my father was an iron worker, uh, an ex-master sergeant in the, uh, the army, and he didn't understand artwork on any level whatsoever. But he never really dissuaded me uh, as long as I was serious about my plans, my goals, everything was cool. Uh, my mom was somewhat artistic, and uh, I was lucky because the schools I went to, the high school, had a good art program. Um, I was lucky enough to do a comic book workshop in Manhattan when I was 14. It was uh, run by Don Heck, Stan Lee, and John Semma. And like I said, I went to the Cubert School in 80. Um, started working in the market. Here's something to consider if you guys are, you know, interested in making this your career. Um, it's it's tough. You know, it's kind of like going to Hollywood and becoming an actor. You know, everybody wants to do it because it's fun. Uh, and it is fun. But um, I, I was lucky enough to have an interview to do staff lettering in the Marvel Bowl in 1990. And that was my open the door and from there I was able to develop a rapport with editors get some freelance work. Um, I freelanced for a couple years in the 90s, came back to work as a uh, assistant art director for John Romita Sr., uh, Michael Golden, and um, you know I worked for Marvel up until like the year 2000. Uh, now I freelance. I Primarily survived by doing commissions, and oh my God, I've been teaching at the Cooper School for almost 20 years. I don't know how that happened, <laughs> but uh, it's a great experience. That's how I get to meet people like this guy. Um, the the students who are pretty much older generation compared to me being an old fart. Uh, I learned stuff from them. Hopefully they learn stuff from me, and the deadlines are tough at the school, um, just like they are, uh, you know, in business situations. But it's it's a great it's a great uh, atmosphere as far as being a creator. Um, the school, you know, here's my thing: whether it's as a student or a professional, and. You guys have probably already heard this, but there's three things. You gotta have talent, which, yeah, but you know, you start. I look at some of my earlier published stuff and I'm like, why did that man hire me? Like, why did she hire me, you know? But they saw something. You gotta have talent, hitting deadlines. Guys, this isn't like, this is commercial art. You can't, it's not fine art. You gotta hit the deadlines. And as far as dealing with people, being able to deal with editors, art directors, bosses, you can't be a jerk. If you do all those three, you'll be all right. You know, that's, to put it overly simply, but that's pretty much how it works, okay? I'd say 
solid opening statement. Uh, That's my spiel, baby. Like I 
was in Iraq twice. But um, when I when I was getting out, um, you know, it's like the opportunity was this. I had zero school debt. Um, I had a nice chunk of change in the bank because you know you can't spend money on a deployment because you're fighting wars. So there's no malls. <laughs> <laughs> stacking up and during that time I, you know you weren't getting taxed if you were deployed so I was like this is great and so you know not often do you get the opportunity to kind of you know like do what you want to do and I, and I was young I was in my 20s still so I was like I was trying to think okay this is a golden opportunity what is the coolest thing I can do you know like I've, I've been I've played sports I've seen travel a lot of the world not all the world in combat, but in combat you learn a lot of things in life. You learn like, all right, like when you're getting things are blowing up around you, and those thoughts that you have in those moments, like those are the important thoughts, right? I, mean, I had three, only had three. I remember this. One was my mom, right? It's mom. One was my my girlfriend at the time. At the time, very <laughs> single now, but at the time, it was like okay. The other was comics. I promise you, it was, it was comic books. And I remember, like, it was, it was a prayer of sorts, but it was more like a declaration. And um, it was like, my prayer my prayer wasn't ever to, like, survive combat. Because, like, you got to make some choices before combat. Like, all right, am I willing to fight? And am I willing to put my life on the line? Yeah, okay, cross that bridge. So we're in combat now. This is what I signed up for. Like, no illusions there. But I'm like, all right, God, I'm not praying to, to survive. But... If I do survive, this is what I'm telling you. If I get out of this, I'm drawing comics. Like, I'm gonna have some fun. <laughs> I'm gonna take every opportunity to like, enjoy the rest of my life. Cause this, you know, this is a tough spot. Yeah. So, um, and you know, I made it up. And uh, so, at, so the choice was, um, what, what can you do? My idea was, let me pick something to put my energy towards that, that never gets old. Like, I don't ever wanna, go to work feeling like, ah, I've got to go to work. I want to have that feeling like I get to go to work, right? And what is something I can do that I never want to retire from? And I thought about all these things. You're getting mail from all these headhunter agencies. Hey, Captain, Captain Blank. Seriously, it's just, they know you're a captain. They know you've got training in leadership and management. They're just like, hi, Captain. We're willing to offer you $200,000 to come manage our whatever. And so it's like, all right, like that sounds interesting financially, but is that something I want to do for and not ever gonna, you know, is it gonna get old? There's only one job I could think of that I would never like get tired of doing, and there was a draw comics. Uh, it's me every single time I sit down at the table. And look, being an artist has its inherent frustrations, right? Like there are days you sit down and you literally cannot draw that day because you suck. You know? <laughs> like, I don't know what happened to you know all this training and ability, but I can't draw it. So, you know, it's, it's got its own ups and downs, but I love it, you know, like I would rather suffer doing that than have a good time doing something else, you know. Um, and so that was 2008. Uh, it took me about three and a half years to kind of decompress my time in the military because that was my first time in a civilian. And so I moved to Brooklyn, New York. And as soon as I got to New York, like I felt like a relief, like, oh, this is great. Like, I love it here, you know. And, uh, but I only moved to New York because it was in proximity to the Cupid School. I've known about Cupid School for years. I tried to get out of the Army when I found out the Cupid School, but they, they wouldn't let me do that. Um, and so, um, 
after about three years in New York, I, I got accepted to the Cuba School. And I've literally been there ever since. So um, that's how I got there. Um, I knew it was a great opportunity. Got to meet Joe before he passed away. Had some really, really good moments with him. And uh, just the system, the process. Um, there are, uh, some people have said, getting into the comic book industry is much like breaking out of prison. Once somebody does it one way, like nobody else can do it that way, right? Like they plug in the hole yes. whatever, they yeah. fix it. Um, the Curie School method has worked for 40 years, right? Like it's, uh, I often say it's like the West Point of, you know, West Point feeds people right to the military. Like this is the West Point of the comic book industry. It's hard, uh, it's because the job is hard. It's challenging because the job's challenging. As reporting, so you got to do the work, you got to stay the course, but it, the process works. And the truth about it is, the process isn't for everybody. West Point's not even for West Point. It's not for everybody. You can still get in. There are other ways to get in, um, but this way works. If you stick to it, so uh, it's something we all believe in. Uh, it's why we're all friends now. It's you know, it's uniting us from a common ground our passion for art.
taught um, sequential art all three years. And then later on with the school responsibilities and his own workload with the graphic novels, uh, then he kind of pulled back to where he was teaching the third year. And, um, you know, yeah, it was great that you were able to work with the guy. Joe, um, very fair. Uh, I mean, he had been in the business since he was a kid. He probably the most knowledgeable person I'd ever worked with or worked for. And you could put work down. And number one, he could just scan it. And he knew if you really worked on it or not. Like scan with his eyes, not yeah, eyes. yeah, like yeah. looking at it. He, you know, like uh, like Boyd would say, did you put the work into it? And if you kind of missed off a little bit, he would call you out on it. Uh, it was all about being a storyteller. Uh, that's what Joe's whole thing was. And um, I mean, very fair. Uh, I can't even begin to express how much I learned from him. But uh, there was, you know, there's a, you know, you don't always hit a home run, you know. And I remember dropping one of his assignments. You went up to the desk and sat down with him. And one thing you never wanted to hear was, well, you've saddled yourself with a problem. Because that usually made you just really screw something up. You're going to have to fix it again. But, um, you know, he was one of my first editors, along with being an instructor and like an uncle. Um, you know, I hope everybody has the opportunity to work with somebody that experienced and that great, you know. And I think there's young people that um, have those capabilities and that type of personality. But, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, Joe, you know, we kind of became family. Um, a slide aside, Muriel, his wife, she was the administrator. She kind of ran the business when we were students. And she was such a sweetheart because I'm one of those guys, I don't put on a coat until it's like, November or December, and the one day she pulled me aside and she's like, you know, if you need a coat, you know, like right there, I'm like, well, I guess I'm family now. She's so going to buy me clothes. Like if you were an artist, he considered you an equal. I mean, you were a student, but he knew you were where you were. And then later, like I was up at Marvel and he saw me. He didn't recognize, you know, he recognized me, didn't know my name. But he was like, you're one of my guys. And he was just so happy to see you working in the business. Like, you were just as equal as him. So that's great. That's uh, great. Uh, when you say, was there a difference to, to the Kubert School um, before he passed and after he passed? Did things really change at all? Or this is my area. So I was, uh, so there are a couple of jobs at the Kubert School you can get as a student. And when I say a couple, literally, there's like, and one of them is seriously. Uh, one of them is you get to be the security guard, which means you sit at the front and you sit in the main hallway. Yeah. Which there's a table like this, and just catacorn that. But he had a tank. Catacorn that table is Joe's office, and so um, you kind of can hear what's going on in the office, and you know, it's like ah, I don't know if I should listen to this or not, but you can't help but hear it because you're sitting there at the table. Joe would just come out to go use the bathroom. He's like, oh, there he is. You know, be cool. He can 
feel starstruck, you know? It's like being in Comic-Con every day, you know? Because all the instructors are your favorite, you know, artists and all that. But then when you see Joe, you know, so many people have stories of like, man, you know, I was just going out to get a sip of water from the water fountain. Joe came out of the bathroom, oh my God, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> So uh, I think that uh, we, we're asking specifically about things that have changed, and, and uh, oftentimes the idea with that is that you know things that were were bad before they got better, or things were good or they maybe they've gotten worse. And I don't think that's the case at all. Um, what what we teach, the, the method that we teach at the Cuber School is we kind of year one is like a deconstruction year. Pretty much like everything you thought you knew, we're going to tell you whether it's true or not, and we're going to tell you everything that is true and relevant in the moment. Uh, because uh, everybody on staff, they are they're practitioners. It's not theory. We're not teaching theory. We're teaching. All the instructors are applying this stuff that they're teaching when they go home because they got other jobs, you know, freelance jobs as well. So it's not theory. This is what works now. These are the industry standards. Um, so the first year you get there, it's deconstruction. I remember because I got a degree, I got a bachelor's degree in art. And the first week of school, I called home and I was like, Mom, they've gone over everything I learned in undergrad. Everything. <laughs> everything. And that first week is the week after Labor Day. So we're not even there the full school week. Like, it's Monday's off. You come in on Tuesday's the first day of school, right? And I'm like, I don't even know what they're going to teach on Monday, you know? Day one, freshman year. Yeah. yeah right. It's just like, and, and I got three more years here. Um, year two. Uh, now it's like, okay, we're gonna try everything. We're gonna try everything. Um, it's very experimental. Uh, but now you understand the process. Like, year one, you establish a new process. Year two, now we're taking all the skills and drills, we're gonna apply it. We're literally gonna throw it on the wall and see what sticks. What sticks, we only got a year left now. At this point, these are your strengths, right, for the industry. This is what you're good at. We've established that. Now, year three, we can work on that. We double down what you're good at, um, and now we can prepare you for the professional ranks because we've established what you're good at. You have the discipline now still, you have the process now still. None of that's changed since Joe passed away. What is, what is like the average day for, you know, if you're a first year student, like what's the workload for like, here's how many hours you're drawing or you're doing your hand lettering or you're just being terrified by the fact that you're here uh, and how much you just got shoved in your brain. Uh, <laughs> I didn't believe it while I was a student. I was like, there's no way, you know, right. there's a way. Because 
break in the summer, just by volume, you're going to get better. And you may, because you're looking at your art every day, so you're seeing incremental change. But if you look at day one when you walk in, if you look at day 100, 100 days later, you know, that's three and a half months, you're gonna notice a huge difference. Think about that over three years, right? So uh, you'll get better through volume. I mean, that's just kind of, the, that's why I say it's really, it's looking. Sure. You know, so you know, you'll realize you're getting a lot better. Um, what, uh, are there certain teachers that are, this might be a question for you, honestly, if, uh, if there are questions that are, okay. that are known for like being, you know, this is the taskmaster, this is the teddy bear, I'm, you know, this is the person who I'm, who I'm gonna get murdered by, and this is the ones that I can be like, oh, okay, so it's all good. Everyone who doesn't make eye contact. <laughs> Art. This isn't, you don't have the luxury of 
of saying, oh, you know, I want you to kind of imagine what this is going to be. Like, no, if it's a car, it needs to look like a car. If it doesn't look like a car, we can fix it. Like, there's a there's a right way and a wrong way in, in this world of art that we're in. So, yeah, if it sucks, it's like, all right, let's. What, what did Joe say? You, you, you settled yourself with a problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At least we got to change something. And that's kind of a nice way of putting it. It is. You know, it's a great way of saying things. When we were at the school, we had Jose Dobo who was doing Wonder Woman at the time. And we just didn't want to disappoint this guy. So the only all-nighters we did, that I did, and him and I both sometimes, for Jose's class, because he would call you a caca cabeza if you did. <laughs> He's an Argentinian. And we're like, we actually drew up a little certificate, like, you were the Kakaka base of this week. And, and Joe, if you disappointed Joe, he wouldn't, he would kind of look at the work and rub his chin and go, oh, yeah. and then I just knew, like, oh, and that so was, bad. and I look at these guys and say, that was worse than getting yelled at. Yeah, you know, you're just like, did something wrong. Well, it's, I mean, the, the beautiful takeaway from all this, and, and I hope you agree as well, is that, is that dude, they care. Everyone cares. Yeah. Right. And, and at no point, I'm not getting to buy it for, for two seconds, that it's like, homework? Great. Next. Great. Great. It's not, that's not what it is. It's, it's not, not that text. No, that's all. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that, that's pretty great. So when, the, when, when someone is interested in coming, um, and uh, they just have these thoughts of like I've, I've seen the ads in the comics. I, you know, I, I want to check this out. What's uh, what what is required for them to submit? What level of skill already, like a baseline level of skill, uh, is uh, admissions looking for? What's uh, what's that process? What is the average person starting at? What level? Question. <laughs> <laughs> so so you need two things you know, to get in. Uh, you need abilities. You need talent. Attitude. You got to be teachable because you're, you're going through the gauntlet for three years. If you uh, if you feel like you know somebody correcting you, if you have a problem with that, you're going to have a problem at the school. Uh, it's definitely not going to be a place for you. We have critiques every day. You, know, you have an assignment, get a week or two weeks or however long the deadline is. When that due date comes, you put yourself on the wall and critique it. Critique is critical examination. It doesn't mean we're going to. It's not a feel-good session. This is like, okay, where can we grow? Right? So we're literally looking for faults. We're seeking out weaknesses in design or whatever to find out what where you need to put your efforts. Right? So uh, it develops some thick skin. Uh, there, there, I can personally attest to, you know, there have been some critiques where you, you, know, you didn't need to go take a moment and like breathe. It's like, man, that really hurt because I thought it was really good and it really wasn't. You know, but you shake it off and you develop that thick skin. So you got to be teachable. You have to have an ability. That being said, um, people think, uh, you know, I gotta have a perfect portfolio. Like you don't. Um, if you looked at, I'm gonna use Andy Hubert as an example, because he's Joe's son, um, current, you know, Batman artist at DC Comics, so he's really good. Uh, okay. He's doing all right. Um, but if you looked at Andy's work as a first and second year student, um, and he used to teach narrative art for the second year, he would bring in his work he was a student at our same level. So second year, second semester, you get this treat. And he will bring in his second year assignments from that same semester. And he'll put it up and show you. And I gotta tell you, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be great. Like, I'm gonna be great. <laughs> because 
you know, if he had been my classmate, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, you know, like, we're all friends there. Everybody, like, gets this very cooperative environment, but it's like, you know who's, like, a little bit ahead. And, you know, like, you can see, you have taste, right? Like, you, you choose your own comics yourself because of what appeals to you. But I was like, man, like, I felt good about myself. Well, something happened with Andy between the second and third year. Like, something clicked, and he, he became yeah, into humor, right? Like, yeah, it was right after that. So, but he did it because of the work. And so, you don't have to be great coming in, because if you were that good, you wouldn't need to come to school in the first place, right? Um, and so, we take people in at different levels, specifically because it could be the next Andy Huber. They could have that Andy Huber moment, Take a leap, and that's we've seen it happen countless times uh, because you're putting in the work. So it's just a modicum of ability and a really, really, really good attitude. That the attitude will take you further than your talent. So, Doug, applying to school, you need to have a portfolio. Yeah. A lot of we get people coming. We got a guy who's retired from the Navy who just recently came in, and we have people coming right out of high school. So, you, they have to submit a portfolio, it's usually like 10 to 12 pieces they want to see at any level, but I think what we look for is someone who's just compelled to draw and is not going to shy away from the hours they have yeah. a, lot, a lot of people coming into the school have been told they're a great artist by their parents. <laughs> they, they were the best artist in their school, or they were the one in, in their school who was drawing comics, and other words like, wow, that's really great, you can draw really well. And then they come to the school and they see somebody else's work and they're like, Guys, better to be, and they just know they have to. But it's a good, healthy. Right. I, I think it's a good, healthy competition. Um, and and part of the school too. It doesn't matter if it's the business class or whatever class you're in. Some students, you know, first year they have to learn. Like, uh, don't make excuses. And like you were saying, learn how to take criticism. Uh, I try to do a positive, like, oh, this rendering worked out really nice, but that's not a dog, it's some alien creature that should be caught on fire, redraw the dog. You know, like, I try to do a positive and then a negative, but, um, you know, we've all dealt with that, uh, well, this here is wrong, and the student goes, no, that's not wrong, that's my style. <laughs> and I'm like, well, your style's wrong. You know, like, you know, they have to learn how to be able to take. But I use reference. <laughs> you know, the, so the interesting thing about that, like the skill that has to be developed, and nobody, I don't think anyone's born with this. Like, it's something you have to develop. But you have to emotionally detach from the thing. And this is a necessary bridge to become a professional. Because art, up until that point, is a hobby. You do it when you feel like doing you're inspired or you're sad. It's your outlet, right? Like, it's, it's great escape thing. Now we're teaching how to be a pro. And being a pro doesn't need transparency, it needs professionalism. You can't have a bad day, right? Like like uh, Ox said, you, you might hit a home run every time at bat, but you do need to get on base. Because getting on base means your bills are going to pay. And so you don't have the luxury of waiting to be inspired. You need the consistency of having your worst day good enough to, to be uh, marketable, right? And so you have to emotionally detach from it. Uh, Lee Weeks, who went to the school, Instructors, um, one of the best, most relevant artists today in nation comics. Um, one thing he told me when I was a student was he said, "Don't fall in love with your work too soon. You just you can't because you can't treat it like your baby. Once it's out there, sure you can love it all you want to, but it's just not healthy because it, you're in this more scholastic environment. But number two, in the long game, when you even when you're a professional, you want to keep growing. If you don't 
is going to outgrow you, you know, and they're going to do that job, or they're going to be seen and can give you his attention. So you cannot get emotion, too emotionally attached to where you're defending it, because that just, when you start getting defensive, this is human nature, like, like the person that's telling you, everybody starts to double down and, and fortify their position, and nothing happens, and nothing helps. Got emotionally detached from it and look at it as um, I'm putting my best foot forward and I'm gonna learn from it and get better on the next one. Learn from it and get better on the next one. Learn from it and get better on the next one. And just accept where you are in that moment. Love it. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what's the what's the average um, uh, population now? What's the class size now? Uh, I mentioned that we started we started around like 22 or something for that first class, and now it's we generally have about 100 students. Okay. Um, and, and how has the makeup changed over the years? Also, like I know that more not, women. Yeah, yeah, women. yeah, no, yeah it's yeah. getting a lot more women. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is what's what's the percentage of ratio basically at this point? You know, it's almost fifty-fifty. Uh, almost. It's it's not quite. Uh, but just to see, just to show you how much has changed. I graduated in twenty fourteen. We had fourteen students in our graduating class. And we were one. one <laughs> She has a table out here, uh, Alexia, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, she's really good. Yeah. Um, but there was one in my entire graduating class. Um, and now, uh, gosh, we just graduated a class of 20. And I think it was 50 50. It might have been not quite. Yeah, it might have been like 9 40, 40, yeah. Yeah, 40 so. Um, and I think it's just a reflection not only of society, but you know, just where we are as, as a people group, you know. Um, just, Everybody has a story to tell, you know, and like these skills aren't like bold to one gender or race or anything. When Joe started school, there was two comic book companies. Yeah. Marvel and DC. Right, right. And then there was like, you know, Gold Key and, sure. you know, Richie yeah, Rich. Right. But, uh, but now there's just so much diversity in comics. It's yeah. so much uh, out there that it reflects in our student populations. Yeah. yeah. And of course, that means that there's so many opportunities to think beyond. Same thing beyond the box, but it's thinking on the printed page, right? You don't need to think like, well, if I don't get into Marvel or DC, then what am I going to do? Like, well, not only are there two quite a gajillion more publishers, but so many opportunities online. Yes. Our uh, our third year students, they have like whether going to someone's office like Valiant or our connection to Marvel, DC, Dynamite. It's amazing. I mean, that third year, those last two months alone, I mean, I know it's stressful as hell for them, but uh, the opportunities alone as far as meeting with people, yeah. and um, more so than ever, now companies come to the school. Yes. I was just wondering, do you have like a set number of slots of who you're accepting, or is it based on what you get? Like, is there years where you have to like eliminate half of the applicants, or like, how many applications do you get versus how many I was saying, it's generally we take most of the people who apply and we just switch classrooms around and fit people in and shoehorn them in. Shoe, shoehorn them in. Our latest, biggest class was a little over 50 incoming. So the first year is always going to be the largest class. Uh, and then there's attrition. Like, there's attrition. 
my class started with 34, we finished with 14. And it's, you know, the workload, you realize you don't love it, you only like it, you like the idea of being an artist, but you don't like the work, you know, you don't enjoy the process. And, you know, there's the financial challenges that you have with any, you know, higher education. Uh, so that has family, you know, all these things. And all these things have to kind of line up for you to make it through the three years. So we, we try to start, you know, wide and finish the little down. Just fairly wide net for the, the size of the school. Well, it's, uh, it's remarkable what, what uh, happens at the school, for sure. I mean, it's, it becomes a myth to everyone who, who uh, is interested in this sort of thing. And frankly, anyone who's been reading comics for decades, you just see the ads all the time. Like, That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to my guests Darren Ock, Michael Krieger, and Lloyd Briggery. Special thanks also to Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo at the Garden State Comic Fest, and Eric Belomo for capturing audio for this episode's interview. And thanks, of course, to you for inviting me into your podcast feed to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? And what? Better have those units in the South Ridge repaired by midday or there'll be hell to pay. You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts. And on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Check out 121Gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. Hey, did you know that every episode of this podcast is available for free at Apple Podcasts? It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. And while you're visiting Apple Podcasts, you can help us out. Whether you're a subscriber or not, please rate and review the show, especially if you have something nice to say, because that will help more like-minded listeners find the show. If you're not on Apple Podcasts, you can also find us at SoundCloud.com or on Player FM. You're probably listening to my voice right now thanks to one of those platforms. Browse the other episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this episode's interview with the team from the Kubert School, I encourage you to check out episode number 36 when I spoke with comic creator Fernando Ruiz. He's also a Kubert instructor. He was mentioned in this episode all over the place, and it's time you got to know him. That's episode number 36 of 1.21 Gigawatts. Give it a listen as soon as you finish this one. Huge gratitude to my co-producer, composer, sound designer, and the man already in line to see the extended J.J. Abrams cut of Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, 
if it even exists, Mr. David Cisco. You are and remain the best, Cisco. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome rocking out with the 1.21 Gigawatts theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. gigawatts what every geek wants is what we got from doctor who to aqualad you might meet luke and leia's dad pop culture that is super rad hosted by some guy named brad it'll rock you to your nylon cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts Joe Kubert School of Cartoon and Graphic Art is a fully accredited institution in Dover, New Jersey. The man who founded the school, comic book legend Joe Kubert. When I started out, I got all my information from guys who were already in the business, and they were very, very helpful, the nicest guys in the world, and still are. And I felt that if I could have one place, if I could put together one place where all the students who wanted to learn this stuff could come to, it might be a good thing, and that's what kicked it off. (laughs) 